Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will use this city as a tool of witness in the lives of those who are struggling to live godly for you. I pray that it will bring deliverance and set the captive free. Lord, as it goes beyond the prison walls, the highway and byways, that it will compel those to come unto you. Lord, those that are struggling, that they'll begin to live victoriously. And Lord, when that race is over and it is all finished, Lord, they can come unto you and you will say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name. your attention to the book of Mark, the 14th chapter, verses 1 through 9. We know that there are the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And sometimes that they had a different perspective when they brought that particular account. And so if you allow me, give me liberty, because I'm in the Word, I'm going to rotate between uh, John's writing, Mark's writing, and even Luke's writing with this account. So again, if you look at Mark 14, one through nine, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of the unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spicenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, and they said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She have wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She have done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. And verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she have done shall be spoken of for a memorial. Eternal God, we are once again grateful and thankful to be here, and we ask that, God, you would draw our attention, get us, Lord, to the place where we're not just going to be a hearer today, but we're going to be a doer of your word. And, Lord, if there are those that are listening that have never repented of their sins nor have been baptized in Jesus' name, today, God, let it be so that they repent and are baptized in your name, and we, Lord, watch you fill them with your precious Holy Spirit. We come to you now, God, and we ask if there are anyone, Lord Jesus, that's in the congregation right now, or even like out there in Facebook land, as I like to say, that Lord has, Lord, ailments and sickness. Let them know, Lord, that you still heal. 
I pray, God, Lord, when everything is said and done today and hearts are lifted up, souls are, Lord, converted. We'll remember to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Let everyone say, in Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. Before you're seated, if you just please allow me to give you the one verse that really resonated in my spirit. And I need you to really understand what is being said. In verse number eight, she have done what she could. She has come afore hand to anoint my body to the burying. I want to minister to you from this thought. No regrets. I want to minister to you from that thought. No regrets. And I hope and pray that there are those that are listening today that, that will respond accordingly. You will, on your sofa, if that's where you're watching today's message, in the church house, if that's where you're watching the message, I want you to respond accordingly to what is being said. When we look at this text, when we look at what it means to have regrets what what does that mean what does regrets really mean well some say a regret is when you are sad when you are repented when you have missed opportunities there there's something you could have done but you didn't do it I, I, I want somebody to really understand that when we look at the word regret and we see how regret is it can really bring us to a place where we think how many regrets do I have in life <sighs> has there been disappointments because that's what a regret is has it been something that happened or has been done especially again a lost or or missed chance or opportunity as we look back over our lives, there are perhaps many things that we can say, I regret doing. Some of our regrets may have cost us big time. Is there at least one somebody in here that can say amen? And just maybe there might be someone who feels that they have absolutely no regrets in life. Well, I hope after hearing this message, it will cause you to rethink your position on saying you have no regrets in life, especially from a spiritual perspective. Now, as we look back at our texts, we find that there is a perception, if you please, of what one considered to be waste. Well, first, let's look at the event in and of itself. It's two days until the feast of the Passover and unleavened bread. Now, remember, uh, the Passover was here to bring back to remembrance how the children of Israel had been delivered from Egypt. It was to commemorate how God protected and, and kept them in safety. It was that they will remember that how God had instructed Moses and, and those that were Israelites, that on this night the death angel is coming over. But if you would just take a lamb, one without spot or wrinkle, 
and you slay it, and you, and you put the blood over the doorpost and the lintel, that when the death angel comes, what happens is he'll pass over you. And so that's where they got Passover from. And they also took that, that lamb that they had slain, and they cooked it, and they had a feast. And so that's what it was. It, it was to commemorate, to bring back to remembrance how God delivered them. I wish I could get me somebody in house or in Facebook land that could remember how God delivered you out of some stuff, how he brought you up and out. It was the Passover, and they had unleavened bread. The unleavened bread was just simply that, bread that was made without leaven. And it was to be eaten. And so that's the scene. The chief priests and the scribes were trying to devise a way to take Jesus and then put him to death. Where that word craft comes in is what they're saying is they, they're trying to scheme. You know how folk trying to scheme on you, trying to hook you up and put you in a trap. They were trying to scheme on Jesus to get him to be removed so they could put him to death. However, they were advised not to do it on the feast day because Jesus had become very popular. People had began to flock to him. So they said, no, 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 whatever you do, don't do it on the feast day because it might cause the people to riot. <laughs> See, riots are nothing new. It may cause an uproar of the people. And there was a supper being prepared by Martha, the sister of Lazarus and Mary. And as Jesus was with Lazarus and the others around the table, the Bible says that there came a woman who, by the way, was Mary. Mm -hmm. That's right, Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. It was that same Mary that Martha was frustrated with in Luke 10, 40 and 42. You remember the count. Where, where she felt that Mary should have been helping her serve Jesus. Helping around the house, cleaning up, getting everything ready. She even asked Jesus to intervene and tell Mary to stop what she was doing and help her. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. See, see some of us, y'all so concerned and caught up about the stuff that's going on in the world that you forget in the big picture. Life eternal. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, when you make Jesus priority one, when you begin to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. When you get to the place where you say, Jesus, I want you more than I want the world. I'll stand for Jesus and I'll let the world go by. She chose the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And as we look over these snapshots of Mary's life, we can see her priorities caused her to do the things that she could do and without regret. Somebody say, no regrets. <laughs> the Bible said that while Jesus sat at meat, there came this woman having an alabaster box of ointment. 
Now, now let me say this again. When you look at the four Gospels, uh, the other Gospel says that, that she came in and she had this oil, this perfume. It says here that she had an alabaster box, and, and I'm not disputing it because I wasn't there. But if she did have an alabaster box, this box was to be opened and it had a seal on it. Usually the seal was plastic melted over so it would not release the fragrance. It would not release the ointment. It would not release this perfume, if you please, that was in the box. And so nine times out of ten, she didn't break the box, but she broke the seal on the box. And the Bible says it was an alabaster box of ointment and spikenard. Nard was a plant in that day, and it was the, uh, had a small, narrow, thin stem, but the root was big. And nar had this beautiful fragrance, this aroma that's released. And it normally came from the root, but don't forget the fruit and the stem could also be used to produce this perfume, if you please. And I don't want to get into it, but you know some of y'all pay some top dollar for your stuff. You want to smell real good. You, you want it to be like when you walk out the sanctuary, everybody say, man, it's still in here. But, but she had an alabaster box full of precious, is what the Bible said. Very precious. It was spikenar, and it was very precious, meaning it was expensive. And I, and I don't want to throw out figures, but when we get into this a little bit more, it'll show you how expensive it was. It says she broke the box. In other words, she took the seal off, and she poured it. So it wasn't like a salve. It, it was more of a liquid form, and she poured it on his head. Now, the other gospel writer said that she took that ointment or that perfume and she poured it on his feet. And she took her hair. Hair probably was like long like Angela Allen's hair. And she could probably just take it and wipe Jesus' feet. But, but here it says she poured it on his head. And we find that in Mark 14 and 3 in part. But unbeknownst to those who had indignation within themselves, because of her pouring out the expensive ointment over Jesus' head, which they viewed as a waste. Somebody say waste. But we re really need to understand the definition of waste. In the book that we call the Bible, when you see that word waste in this, it's in the Greek. And that word means perdition. And later on we'll find that when we look at this account, it says they murmured within themselves. But if you go to John's gospel, you'll find that the person that was doing the murmuring was Judas Iscariot. And, and Judas said unto them, well, what was this waste for? We could have taken that money and it could have brought a lot of aid, if you please, a lot of relief to the poor. That that could have been valued at over 300 pences. Now, a pence and a dinero in those days were equivalent to a year's salary. That's what he said it could have been sold for, for a year's salary. But I, I want somebody right now to, to look at how Mary looked at it. Mary looked at it, okay, I've, I've got this money. I've saved it up. 
And I'm able now to buy this alabaster box of anointed spice, Noah. And what I know I need to do is take this and use it to the glory of God. I need to use it to honor Christ. Because the Bible said that they murmured. They, they didn't understand and they asked the question because they viewed it as a waste. They declared it might have been sold for more than 300 pences and given to the poor. Let me ask you a question. One of the reasons, and again, John alludes to it being Judas Iscariot, is because Judas was the money holder. He had the bag. So he knew everything that was going in the bag. And he knew that that money could have been some money that he could have skimmed off of. You know, modern day, you know, we, we have a, a phrase called skimming. Uh, they don't, it don't happen in this church, but some churches, uh, those that count the money, they, they do something we call skimming. You know, why they're counting the money, all of a sudden some money drop on the floor, they put their foot on it, and they keep on counting. And at the end of the, the count, they go back up and pick it up. That's called skimming. Judas Iscariot was skimming money. That's why he was so upset. What meaneth fill thou waste? We could have used that money. To feed the poor. Listen, sometimes we think that we can get over on God. We feel that we can uh, deceive God. When God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, he knows our intentions. He knows exactly what we're going to do with what we're going to do with. I, I want to show you, please quickly, tur turn to Matthew 9 and, and 4, just, just to show you that a lot of times we think that we're getting over on God. We think that we can say one thing but really do and mean another. In John 9 and 4, the Bible says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, <laughs> watch this now, before you even formulate it while it's in your brain, he says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? That's where it all starts from. Please, sir, ma'am, stop telling people that you, your heart is good and, and you good and you know you are really and truly a good-hearted person and you wouldn't do anything. The Bible said that the heart is wicked and desperately deceitful. And again, in Proverbs it says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whosoever walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. So Jesus knew the heart of those people. They were saying one thing in actual with Judas Iscariot. He was saying one thing, but he really had another purpose. He wanted to take the money and run with it. So let me say this. Have you ever noticed, if you're an observant person, have you ever noticed that people who do nothing, they're the ones that complain about everything? <laughs> and the people that do everything are the people who hardly complain about anything. You see, Jesus knew that Mary's actions were coming from a good place. Somebody say a good place. <laughs> see, he knew her heart. He knew where she was coming from. He knew that she made up in her mind that I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to take and I'm going to lavish God in the person of Jesus Christ with this oil, with this perfume, with this ointment, because I'm on a mission. And I don't think she quite understood her assignment. But what it was, and Jesus began to tell her, why bother her? 
she's come early to prepare me for burial. Jesus knew her actions, that they were coming from a good place. It was in preparation again for his burial and to honor him. Notice that he says, verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, my God, everywhere you hear the gospel, he says, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial for her. Why? Because what it was actually saying is that the only thing, if there was any regret, I wish I had some more to pour on you. I, I, I wish I had even more. He said, this will be for a memorial, that this lady did what she did. She did what she could. I'm saying to you all, nothing is wasted when it's done to the glory and honor of God. I can't do everything, but what I can do, I should do. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and do it not, to him it is. We may not be able to win the whole world to Christ, but we can win some. It's been said, I'm only one. I'm only one, and I cannot do everything. But what I can do, I ought to do by the grace of God. I will do, quote, unquote. So we all need to do what we can do when we can do it. Amen? Amen. When we can do it, and we should do it for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God. Now watch this, with no regrets. There's a person in the Bible by the name of Paul, and, and I, I, I was going to say something, but there, there's another account that I want you to remember. And this account deals with the same thing, no regrets. If you were to look over and mark the 12th chapter uh, at the 41st verse, there's an account that's familiar to most of you Bible scholars. It's called the widow's might. You, you, you remember that account. And this account says that Jesus is sitting over in the synagogue, if you please. He, he's sitting against the treasury, and he beheld the people as they came to cast their money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. I, I want to say to you, it's not what you give, but it's how you give that matters to you. Don't, don't let nobody tell you you got to give in the $100 line or the $50 line or the $25 line. Whatever you have, sir, ma'am, you give to the glory of God because God is watching. Somebody said, how do you know that? This account tells us Jesus was in the house and he was actually watching what people put in. He said, boy, there's a lot of rich folk in here. And they putting a big sum of money in there. Listen to what he said. And there came a certain widow, and she threw in two pences, which make a firm. And, and that doesn't even make a half a cent in these days. And he called unto him his disciples. Now look, look, look what Jesus used a lot of times to uh, 
drop knowledge on us, if you please. He said, come here, I want y'all to look at this. He said, verily I say unto you, that this poor widow have cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. Can you imagine the look on the disciples' face? They said, man, Jesus, these some high rollers in here. These some heavy hitters. They put a lot of money in, and you saying that this lady? Now, how does Jesus justify that to them, that this lady put more in than all of them? This is how he does it. He says, for all they did cast in of their abundance. He says, but she, meaning the widow, she took all that she had, even all her living. So in essence, what he is saying, that she gave with no regret. At the end, she had nothing to go back home with, but she had no regret. I wish I could get somebody to, to rec recognize that. There are times in our walk with Christ that we should get to the point that we have no regrets in our servitude. I want to say to you again, the Apostle Paul's life was a stellar life living for God. And he did some things that I want you to take note of. I don't want to read the whole account, but when you get an opportunity, go to Acts the 20th chapter. In Acts the 20th chapter, if you drop down a, a few verses, you'll find that Paul, in verses 13 through 27, he was about to go on a mission. And it was a mission that he was relentless of. It took him over the oceans. It took him over the seas. It took him from this country to that country. But at the end of the day, Paul, the Bible says in the 16th verse, Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. And he hastened, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. If you continue to read the account, he went through a lot of toils. He went through a lot of trials and tribulations just to get there. And the Bible in the 18th verse says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after that manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. His life was always in jeopardy. He says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Look at this man's ministry. He wasn't just in the synagogues, but he would go out on the neighborhood, if you please, knocking on doors, coming in people's houses from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. In other words, God gave him discernment through the Spirit of God that when you go to these cities, there's going to be adversity. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. My God, I wish I could get you and I to develop the mentality that no matter what's going on in the world, it's not moving me. 
Oh, y'all got real quiet there. There's a lot going on in the world today. There's a lot of things happening right now. But if we could maintain the attitude, none of these things move me. What shall separate us from the love of God? <laughs> See, that was Paul's spirit and his mentality. He said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course. Yeah, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. That's Paul. He says that I can finish my course with joy. Let me, let me say this. It's a sad commentary that some of us have been living for Christ for years. And now, instead of having joy, we walk around like somebody been sucking on a lemon, dipped in pickle juice. It's a shame that somewhere we allow the joy of our salvation to be sapped from us. But Paul said, not me. I, I'm finishing my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says in 25, and now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Paul had no regrets because he lived his life for Christ in such a way that would bring glory and honor. The same way Mary did. Same way the lady with the widow's mites. They gave, they served with no regret. In my closing, there's uh, an account that I would like to share with you, give you an account of a young man by the name of William, William Whiting Board. Pay attention to that last name, Board. He was a philanthropist. He was a millionaire. He was a Christian missionary candidate. He wasn't a missionary yet. He was just a candidate to be one. He was the heir of the Borden's wealth. He was, a, he was going to be a millionaire. As a graduation present, William's parents gave him a trip around the world. As he began his travels around the world, going in all the places, riding first class and staying in the most luxurious hotels, the finest in foods. He had seen all that the eyes could see, all the sights and sounds that one could experience during travels. And while traveling through Asia and Middle East, his heart began to be moved. He developed a burden, if you please, for those people who didn't know Christ. So he wrote back home to his parents, and he told them that I believe that God is calling me to the mission field as a missionary. Don't forget, they spent a lot of money. He went to Yale, he went to Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. These were colleges, prestigious colleges. His parents spent buku money for him. And now he's writing them back and say, listen, change your plans. God is dealing with me to go on a mission field. And so what happens is he begins to write them, inform them of his intent. And after his decision, Borden wrote in his Bible, no reserves. And so upon graduation from seminary and, and turning down many, many high profile, high paying jobs that were offered to him, Borden began his ministry. He began to do what he felt God had called him to do. And so 
having to prepare himself just a little bit more by learning Arabic because he had felt led to speak to Muslims who didn't know the Lord. So he wrote after that first phrase, no reserves, no retreat. Now after finishing his studies, he headed out to the missionary field and he stopped again to study Arabic and within a month he came down with spinal meningitis. 25 year old boy is now dead. His parents came to claim his body to bury him and while doing so they found his Bible. When they found his Bible this was what was written in it. Another phrase after no retreat he wrote this no regrets. Now Please follow me as I'm closing. The big picture in life, now I'm talking about eternal life here, should be one that when we lived it according to the word of God, it should be with no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. That means we left nothing to chance. We gave our all to Jesus and we have no regrets. you father i gotta give you thanks because lord everything that you have done i didn't look at it now i thank you lord for the release of every chain everywhere i go god i gotta give you praise because you have heard my cry we have been smothered by the grace of god and it has brought us joy therefore lord we was able to make a joyful noise in this city we have learned to forgive and with that in mind god i just can't stop praising you in the name of jesus we give you praise Amen.